Well, there are two great challenges that we have in life. The first challenge is finding ourselves. And the second challenge is losing ourselves. As a matter of fact, Jesus had this teaching in Mark chapter 8, this teaching of finding and losing. And he says that then when the crowds came around him and along with his disciples, he said these words, whoever wants me, whoever wants to be my disciples, and that word disciples is the word follower or the word pupil or student, if you want to follow after Jesus, you must deny yourself and take up, take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So the first challenge really is, how do I find myself? Pretty good question. Well, it really comes through the teachings of Jesus. Jesus gave us the answer on how to find ourselves. He tells us the reason why we exist, why we were created on this earth, why we were born. And we find that purpose in Mark chapter 12. Let's read it together. It says, Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, and with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. We said if you want fulfillment in life, the real challenge is finding out why you were born. And Christ says, let me tell you why you were born. Whether you're a believer in Him or not, whether you think faith and the Bible is hocus pocus or not, He says this is the only way you're going to have real meaning, real fulfillment, satisfaction in life. And that is to love God and to love people. Outside of that, you're going to store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but you're not going to have any treasures in heaven. Meaning you're going to be able to have a lot of pleasure on this world, but when it comes time for a judgment, when it comes time to sort between those who are bound for heaven and those who are bound for a dangerous place called hell, well, you're going to find out real quick, if you love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, God's going to pronounce that judgment. And so the purpose of this life is to follow God, to love Him, and to love people. That's why you were created, to love Him and to love other people. Now, I, I think last week I placed an unfair burden on your life. You got to hear these amazing stories of three different people that are willing to walk away from a job that's prosperous to them and maybe get into ministry or someone else that's going to change their career so they can invest it into children. You got to hear from a couple that it's like, we just want to adopt as many kids as possible. And you're thinking, boy, compared to those things, my passion doesn't seem that monumental. But here is the, the, the problem with, with what I presented before you Sunday of last week is that many of you walked out of here equating that this monumental passion meant that you were going to have monumental meaning and that you had to have do to do something very extravagant or 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 off the charts beyond what you could ever do in your ability or have such a great step of faith for God to use you when the truth is it doesn't have to be something monumental to be meaningful some of you have invested yourself into your family That's your passion. You keep on being the best family man, family woman you can be. Love God and love people through that. That's the idea. Because passion is how we demonstrate that purpose of loving God and loving people. Some of you love your job. It's not just a job to you. It's not just a career to you. It's something more. You feel God has called you to that workplace. And you need to be the best employee or best manager or person that you can be in that area. You shine the the light of Christ into that darkened workspace. And you can do that. And you've decided that's what you're going to do. And you knew that it doesn't have to be something monumental to be meaningful. You can just do day-to-day tasks that you love to do and do it loving God 
and loving people. That's the idea here, folks. It's not about finding something that is hard and obscure to find. You've got to go you know, to Nepal to go find some kind of certain passion on top of a hill somewhere and really seek this thing out. It's just how are you going to love God and how are you going to love people? What excites you? What energizes you in doing that, in loving God and loving people? And you know, the Bible tells us not only just how to find ourselves, love God, love people, it tells us how to lose ourselves too. And I think this is much more difficult to do. He says in Mark 8, let's go back to it. He says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Like if you just want to have an easy thing going on here in this world and just kind of walking the easy path, the broad road, it's going to be pretty easy. But when it comes time for eternal life, you're going to miss out on that. But whoever loses their life for me, like who's ever willing to say, God, not my will, but yours be done. Well, that's the person. That's the person who ever loses their life for me and for the gospel, meaning getting the word of Jesus out, will save it. There's going to be so much more to life than what is just trapped here in this capsule of a body. There's, there's life beyond that our soul continues forward long beyond this body's decay. It, this body's going to wear out and the soul's going to move on. And God says, what are you investing in? And I think that's the struggle for many of us. We know our purpose. We're to love God. We know we're to love people. The problem is, are we willing to lose ourselves? Are we just willing to give it up and say, God, you just run where you want to run. You take me where you want me to go. My plans are going to be your plans. I'm going to attach myself to you, and I'm not going to expect you to fall in line with my life. As a matter of fact, God, I want you to change my life, to lose yourself. Now, I want to look at this through a some stories. I want to look at how do you discover your passion? How do you lose yourself? Through four points and some stories that run throughout it. The first one is found in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Would you turn to your Bibles there if you don't have one in the chair rack in front of you? Just grab one, open up to the page that's on the screen. We want to follow along together. The beginnings of this chapter start out with um, Samuel, who is a young man that has just been born, and his mom, Hannah, had wanted a kid so badly that she prayed the prayer, God, if you give me a kid, uh, especially a son, I will, I will give him over to the ministry. And I'll put him in the hands of a priest, and, and that priest will take him in and, and mentor him on how to be a minister effectively for you. And that's what happens. Samuel's born. Hannah is a woman of her word. She hands him over to a man named Eli. Eli's a priest. And Eli begins to mentor him. And when we see Samuel in these passages of Scripture in 1 Samuel 3, he's a young boy. And just on a side note, Eli, who is his mentor, a priest, is a a part of a corrupt family. He has two older boys, and and the way that they run the ministry, they're not in it for loving God and loving people. They They haven't lost themselves in in the passion of the work of the lord actually they're trying to gain for themselves so they're they're trying to get rich off the ministry and what's happened is when when you see the ministry or ministers not adhering to the word of god guess what happens also the people don't adhere to the word of god friends that's a pattern that has been established since the days of old and still continue on now and the reason why there isn't some kind of awakening in Christianity in the United States or the Western world is probably because there isn't an awakening within pastors and ministers in the Western world. You can blame the pastors. You can blame guys like me for that because we're not, we're not leading very well when it comes to how to follow after Christ with full dedication. 
Okay, enough of that. First Samuel chapter 3. Let's get into it. Verse 4. Then the Lord called to Samuel. So he's a young man. He's in bed and he's sleeping. And Samuel answered, here I am. Verse 5. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me? Oh, you see what's going on, right? He's thinking, God, he's thinking that the voice he's hearing is Eli's voice. But Eli said, I didn't call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and laid down. Verse 6. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? My son, Eli said, I didn't call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not know the Lord yet. He didn't know who God was. And the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Verse 8. A third time the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me? Then Eli realized. Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls, you say, speak, Lord, for for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Verse 10, the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. Let's start with this. Sometimes, Sometimes your passion is defined because God calls you to that passion. I mean, sometimes it's like an audible call for some of you. Now, I know this is a rarity. This is a rarity. And for most of you in this room, you're trying to discover what it is that God wants of your life and what he's calling you to do. You love him and you love people. You just haven't lost yourself yet in that. And you're trying to discover what it is. But others, you're feeling that God is speaking to you. And it may not be audibly, but he's speaking to you. You know, when I was in high school, I had my life all planned out. I was one of those kids. I was that kid that knew exactly what he was going to do, what school he was going to attend, how to find the job path that I wanted. I had connections already with the job that I wanted to establish myself in. And I realized how I could probably advance quickly in that job. And it was all planned out for me. But God had other plans. And one night before I went to bed as a senior in high school, I started to read the Bible just a little bit. It's dangerous when you just read the Bible. And just read a few verses of scripture. It wasn't even a a pattern of my my custom at night. And I just sat it down. And that night I woke up and could not fall back asleep. And I, I felt like God was standing there in my room, much like the story of Samuel, and speaking to me, Matt, I want you to do what I have planned for you to do. I said, God, what is that? And he said, I want you to preach. Friends, that was the furthest thing from my mind is to preach or to stand in front of people and to talk. I could talk really well with a group of friends, but to talk in front of people scared me to death. And I heard God saying, this is what I want you to do. Now Samuel said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I was much more like, stop speaking for your servant is leaving. That was my... Kind of my, my mantra was, okay, well, this didn't happen. Uh, this is a bad dream. This something didn't go right here. So I must, be, I must have taken some bad NyQuil or something. And that's the reason for all of this. But Samuel was obedient to his call. Samuel immediately came to a point of obedience and said, God, I want to follow after what you're calling me to do. Let's stop for a second. Let's stop here for a second. I think every Christian in this room needs to hear this. God is pleased with your worship. He's pleased with your love for him. He's pleased with your sacrifices that you hand to him. But you know what pleases him even greater than those things? He tells us, he spells it out for us in the Old Testament. Your obedience, your trust in him. Just to say, God, you take me where you want to take me. I'm willing to lose myself 
here on this. Some of you in this room, God has called you. He's called you. It just assures you, 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 it's a distinct voice. It may not have been audible, but it was distinct to you. And you feel God telling you to do something and to follow through with it. Some of you have walked with it. You've, you've done that journey and you're following your passion. Others, you, have, you just haven't found it yet. You're still, you're still, stop speaking, Lord, for your servant is leaving. I want nothing to do with this. You're not willing to lose yourself just yet in this thing that he's calling you to do. Let me tell you, though, every choice that we make has an end result. Every choice. Adam and Eve, they made the choice to disobey God in the garden. And what happened? They fractured the relationship with God. Who cares about leaving paradise? They fractured the relationship that they had with a perfect God. They rebelled against God. Cain had some kind of jealousy in his heart for his brother. And in that jealousy, it took over an emotion. Then what took place? Well, Cain killed Abel, murdered his brother. Every action has an end result. Noah, though, chose to obey God's seat. And he built an ark. I mean, this was an incredible step of faith, a call of obedience that he took. God talked to him and said, build an ark. He didn't rebel against it and say, God, come on, it doesn't even rain yet. How, why, there's no lake around. Why should I even do this? And he just followed through in obedience. Now, that's a test of faith, isn't it? But yet that test of faith walked in obedience. What did it do? It saved he and his family from the flood of God's judgment. Or how about Elijah? Elijah was living in a nation that didn't like God. As a matter of fact, the leaders despised God in his nation. And Elijah stood as a one-man stance of obedience and love for God. And friends, that one-man stance changed the culture that he was present in. Think how your one-man stance in your workplace could change the culture in which you live. Just a thought. Jesus chose endure the cross remember he could have backed out right prayed at the garden father what not my will but yours be done god i'm willing to lose myself in this i know what you're calling me to and i could back out of it but i'm willing to lose myself i found myself i'm going to love you and i'm going to love people but i'm willing to lose myself and christ went to the cross and salvation has come for every sinner because of what he's done that's a great end result don't you think and fundamentally, I think we've got two choices in life, and here's what they are. Do I follow God, or do I follow my own plan? That's, it. That's what it comes down to. Do I follow God's plan, or follow my plan? And some of you are trying to figure this out. You love God, you love people, but God's calling you to do something, and, and for some of you, you're, you're doing it, you're walking it. Others, you're just saying, stop speaking for your servants leaving. But man, let me tell you, God is, God's calling you to something, if you're, if you're wrestling with it, step out in obedience and do it. It'll be the most fulfilling and satisfying thing you could ever do. Here's the second way you can discover your passion, and that is God confirms the passion to me. Maybe the confirmation comes in a job that you're in, and it's a job that you kind of like, but your, your coworkers are saying, you do this so well. And your managers are coming to you and say, boy, you know what? I've had a lot of people that I've managed, but you... You are one of the best employees we've ever had. You do this work so well. And you're getting confirmation. And you know, maybe, just perhaps, you kind of like your job, and you're thinking, maybe my job is my passion. Maybe that's what God's calling me to be, just to love this job and to love God through this job and to love people through this job. And maybe that's what he's asking me to do. It could be the confirmation that you have when you serve in the ministries of the church somewhere. 
Maybe you have this hospitality thing that you're doing. You're opening doors, you're shaking hands, but someone's come to you as a friend and they said, you know what? I, every Sunday, I look forward to be, being greeted by you. The, the, the smile's genuine, the handshake's sincere, the hug is meaningful and real. It's not fake, and I can tell. And you've got something in you, this, this very true sense of hospitality that you've got, and someone's confirmed to you, this is what you should be doing. You know, confirmation comes, and it brings clarity that you're doing the right thing at the right place at the right time. The Apostle Paul was one of these guys that made sure that he brought clarity to people's lives. He had two men that were kind of under his tutelage. He was this mentor, guys like Titus and Timothy. And these guys were struggling in ministry. Timothy was especially struggling. It was an uphill battle for him. Sour grapes at times in ministry. And the Apostle Paul comes by this young man's side. and He says, let me help you out a little bit. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 5 and 6. Let's look at this together. Because the Apostle Paul does this incredible thing of confirming that Timothy has a passion even though he's in a struggle. Don't, make, don't let it think that just because there's hardship going on, that that's like you should stop. Sometimes hardship means there's a test of character, perseverance. Perseverance leads to hope. So 2 Timothy chapter 1, Timothy is being confirmed by Paul that he's doing the right thing. And Paul says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. And he says, look, it comes comes real to you, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. He's saying, you have a great amount of faith. You hear the confirmation? Live that faith out, Timothy. Verse 6, for this reason I remind you, I'm confirming to you to fan the flame, the gift of God, fan fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And Paul's saying, look, Timothy, your grandma and your mama, they had this great faith. You've got that same kind of faith. Live it out. But by the way, you've got this passion for people, for loving God and for loving people. And you may not see it in yourself. You know, sometimes you can get too close to things. Sometimes you get your head in the sand too deeply to really understand what God is doing through you. You need somebody to kind of shake you and say, this is real in your life. You are really good at this. And that's what Paul was doing. Timothy, you might have some struggles right now, but you are a good pastor. You're a good minister. You're a faithful preacher. You have a passion that needs to just get fanned into a greater blaze. Some of you need that. You, need that. you have a passion, but it needs to just be fanned into a greater blaze. And, and you know, leaders of this church, let me speak to you for a second. And I'm not just talking elders and deacons. I'm talking about anybody that has any kind of authority over someone in this place. You're an elementary school teacher or an elementary teacher here in, in the church, and you're teaching little kids. You, you have authority over those kids, but let me tell you, you also have probably helpers that are alongside of you. Maybe that helper begins to take the, the curriculum or the class or leads a game, and they're doing it really well, and, and you can genuinely say, boy, that was really good. You really have a way of speaking to these kids. You confirm in them the ministry that's been going on. You confirm to them that this is exactly what they need to be doing because that confirmation will help to be a discovery in finding what their passion really is. You know, after I had kind of denied what God was doing in my life in high school and said, no way, God, there's no way I'm going to do that, kind of ironically enough, I was asked to preach at what was called the, the Southern California uh, Youth Convention. And there's thousands of kids there, and my youth minister had asked me to preach. And I think he just thought, Matt, you talk a lot, so why not just talk from the pulpit? And maybe made that equation. 
And so they had asked me to preach for 12 minutes. I couldn't even come up with 10 minutes of things to say. I struggle now trying to keep it under 30. I've got so much to say. But back then, I had nothing to say. And it was like the worst presentation of the gospel possibly because it wasn't the gospel presentation. It wasn't scripture. It was stories. It wasn't any kind of application. It was just kind of like I was a drill sergeant in the pulpit just beating on things and working up a sweat and I was lathering out and I thought, well, that must have done a good job. I walked off the stage feeling miserable by it. And I was terrible and I thought, there's no way God's calling me to do this. And I just proved to everybody that there's no way. I can remember my youth minister a few months later. He came to me. He yanked me out of a worship service like this one, and he pulled me aside, and with an intensity like I'd never seen in Jason before, he had said, Matt, that sermon that you preached about three months ago has not left my heart. I cannot get it off of my head. I can't get it off of my heart. I can't get it over me. And I thought, what in the world? He said, look, you are going to be a preacher whether you like it or not. I thought he was absolutely crazy, you know? No way will I ever do anything like this. He was so right. The confirmation that came from him, and as I look back about my journey, about how I became a pastor, all these confirmations that came along while my head was in the sand of people saying, you don't know it yet, but you love God and you love people, and let me tell you what your passion is. You don't even know it yet. Some of you have people speaking to your life right now. You don't even know it yet. But your passion is this, and, and you need to listen to those people. For some of you, you're, great, you're a great business leader. You're a great business owner. You love God and you love people, and you know how to mingle that together in loving your employees and treating them well and treating the people that you sell to well. And, and you know how to do this right. And people come into you and say, you lead such a good business. you got such a good heart. You're such a good employer. Guess what? That just might be the thing in this season that God has you passionate about, and you don't even know it yet. You need to listen to what others are saying to you. Here's the third thing God kind of helps us to do, discover our passion, that he stirs our heart with a concern, a great concern. Some people call this a burden, but this isn't a burden about sin. God has solved that burden. We don't have to worry about our sin through Jesus Christ. Christ has solved the sin problem. He's become the sin solution for us. This is a burden that we have for people. This is things that come up, that we're convicted by, and we say, somebody ought to do something about that. And that somebody you know is you. And you're thinking, okay, God, uh, really, me? And that concern has become a great concern for you. Some of you know the name Bill Bright. Bill Bright was on the UCLA campus. He saw these students going back and forth to school through the quad. And he realized that many of them were walking like zombies without hope. And so he decided, you know what? I bet you the majority of these kids here, they don't know who Christ is. They're being educated about science, they're being educated about math, they're being educated about social studies, but they don't know who Jesus is. No one's educating them about Jesus, and so he just started preaching at the quads, and students started to come and listen to what Bill Bright had to say. You know, he, he's the founder of Campus Crusade for Christ, and millions upon millions and millions of students have come to Jesus, placing their trust in him in Christ because of what Bill Bright had a concern on his heart to do just to preach Jesus on the quads of UCLA's campus. And now it's become a national phenomenon. How about Dr. James Dobson? You know, he was just a a counselor, a Christian counselor that was just doing okay. Nothing special about James Dobson. He wrote a couple of books, but then God pressed on his heart a great concern for families and for marriages and for parents that were struggling with rebellious teens and He decided to take a leap of faith and to start a radio program and start investing into families and start investing into parents and into marriages. I mean, there's 
There's plenty of you that have been helped through the ministry that God put on his heart to do. That stirred him. Focus on the family has been a help to you. And a great resource to your marriage to strengthen it. All because one guy had a burden on his heart for somebody else. You know the ministry that we have on Wednesday nights here? It's called Route 66. It used to be called Flipped. There was a guy named Scott Schneer. Scott was a bivocational minister that we had on staff here many, many years ago. Scott had recognized better than anybody else that there was a group of families that were being overlooked by all the churches of Washington. He had this keen eye for this stuff. And he realized that there was a community that was just being neglected when it came to spiritual concerns and matters. And so Scott decided that he was going to set up six strategic strategic bus stops in that area. He was going to send out buses, and he was going to have those kids welcomed on the buses and their families and come to um, our ministry, which was then located in Montgomery. Now, he had prepared his people, the volunteers, that Wednesday night, that first one, for 50 kids. He said, guys, we're going to have 50 kids. It's all going to be great. All the volunteers were like, we might have 25, maybe, 25, maybe. All the kids came filing off the bus. We had nearly 200 kids. Now, the kitchen staff, they weren't very happy about that. I mean, they're like, uh, we only have meals for 50. Scott's just like, be like Jesus and multiply this stuff, you know? Everything worked out just perfect, but nothing would have happened in there if Scott just didn't work, on, work out the concern that God had laid on his heart to do. Friends, that ministry still continues today. And Scott, Scott is in the grave, but that legacy continues. That passion, that burden for other people has caught fire through other people and that ministry still happens. We still get teenagers now and even kids who are in college will be like, I was a part of the FLIP program and Bethany's become my home church because I didn't have a church. And guess what? I started coming when I was in the first grade. (laughs) Man, think about the burden that God's putting on your heart to do. Someone with a burden, a person with a burden is a powerful thing. And God's called you to do something. He's placed maybe a, a calling in your life. He's put people to confirm it around you. Or maybe he's put, swelled some great concern for you within it. The Apostle Paul had great concern for people that, he just, that weren't like him. And maybe God's calling you to people that are not like you. He was a Jew. He wasn't supposed to associate with Gentiles. That's people like me and most of you. And, uh, and yet God called him to this ministry. And in the book of Colossians, here's what Paul says to those people that weren't like him. He says, I want you to know how much... I have agonized how much concern, burden I have for you and for the church at Laodicea and for many other believers, check this out, who have never met me personally. Like, I don't know who these people are, Paul says, but my heart breaks for them. And I want to minister to them and I want to love them and I want to show them who Christ is. And maybe right now you have that on your heart. You don't know these people. You don't know exactly how to get it done, but you know God's laid a great concern on your heart. Friends, That's probably the swelling of a passion that God's placing right here. Here's the fourth thing. And that God sometimes captures me so I can live out my passion. I mean, he literally captures you. It's it's inescapable how he captures you. He drags you into the passion. He drags you into this coupling of loving God and loving people. And he drags you into losing yourself. Like Jonah. You ever read that little book in the Old Testament? The book of Jonah? It's not just a whale's tale. It's not a fish story. It's a real deal. Jonah has a passion to preach the gospel as he knows it. God loves his children. God wants his children to be rescued through their, by their, uh, from their sins. And Jonah is called to preach, but Jonah has his like, parameters of where he wants to preach. Like, I have a parameter, like God, don't send me to Alaska. That's my parameter. I'll go anywhere, just don't send me to Alaska. He had his parameters. Don't send me to Nineveh. That was his parameter. 
But God called him to go to Nineveh, and guess what he did? He hopped on a boat, and he went to the furthest place he possibly could go away from Nineveh. He went the opposite direction, and he abandoned his call. He knew what he was supposed to do. He was passionate about preaching. He just didn't want to preach where God was calling him to preach. Now, you know what? If I have a story that matches anybody in the Bible, it's the story of Jonah. Okay, so after I felt the call to preach and confirmed that and and people had come into my life and not just confirmed that calling in my life, but also had a great concern for it, I thought I'd go home to minister. I thought, God, wouldn't it be great just to go to my home church, a church of thousands, and get on staff there? Or God, maybe you can put me behind a superstar preacher and I'll be second fiddle and I'll just kind of hone my skills and maybe after that uh, inherit that ministry or something. But no, that's not what God had planned. God said, man, I, I want you to go to this place that you're not familiar with. It's, it's, it's in Indiana. It's called Montgomery. And, and I want you to, to preach there. Now, friends, my first response was to get on a boat and go away from Montgomery and back home. But you know what happened in Jonah's story, right? Jonah hops on the boat and God creates this big storm, this way of this roadblock to say, no, 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 you're not going any further. And the boat begins to get swamped with water. And then he realizes uh, the storm is me. That's the problem. So he decides and tells the sailors, I'm going to jump overboard and I'll just end it and you guys will be rescued. And what he's really trying to do, what he's really trying to do is kill himself. I don't know if you realize in that story, he's trying to kill himself. God says, no, that's not my plan for you either. No easy outs. And the storm stops. You know, my part of the story there is that when I wanted to go home, about the second year I was here in ministry, which was a really tough year for me, and just said, I'm done with this. And I just was about ready to jump overboard. And I thought, I'll go home. I'll go home. My parents moved from where I thought home was. (laughs) And they came to the Midwest where I was. There was no more home. And that was the storm in my life. And now I'm like pulled, like, what do I do now? I guess I'm kind of stuck here and wading in the water like Jonah. Jonah gets swallowed up by a big fish. I didn't get swallowed up by anything, really, but I just had to learn the lesson that this is what God wants me to do. It took five years for me to understand at Bethany, this is what God wants me to do and to wrestle with that. Five years. Seriously, Lord, here, really, this place. Jonah got spit out by a whale. Swallowed up and spit out. I'm sure when he tumbled out onto the shore, there was a signpost that said, Nineveh, five miles ahead. Don't you think so? I mean, that's the way God works. That's the way God works. And so here he is, and he's got this captured moment in his life, and he reluctantly preaches to Nineveh. All of Nineveh is saved and rescued. They repent of their sins, and the story ends with Jonah really messed up and and, and upset and angry. He hasn't come to grips that that's what God has called him to do. Friends, that could have been my story. That could have been my ending. I could have ended in chapter four like that. But my story continues. And I want to think that Jonah's did too. I want to think that. But after I came to grips that God had dragged me, captured me, and put me in this place, that's when ministry started to really happen. When I just finally said, okay, I will lose myself. I love God and I love people, but I'm willing now just to lose myself. And I will go where you want me to go. Father, not my will, but yours be done. And I know that in this room, God has called some of you to a defined purpose. God has confirmed a passion in your life 
through the people that are with you in this place. Maybe God's put a great concern on your heart to do something, a burden to do something. Or maybe God's dragging you. He's capturing you to follow through with that passion that he has in place for you to do. And friends, the call today is this, that you just say, Father, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do whatever it is you want me to do. I will lose myself. I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ, you live through me.